In the early 1900s, Catherine Briggs created what she referred to as a cosmic laboratory of baby training out of her Michigan home. A stay-at-home mother and aspiring writer who graduated college first in her class at age 14, she married her fellow classmate, Lyman Briggs, and she became fascinated with the, with the concept of self-actualization after the birth of her daughter, Isabel. Little did she know that what started as a tool to document the growth of her daughter would soon become a multi-million dollar industry and a token of corporate culture as we know it today. Hello, and welcome back to Walton Biz Talk, a student-run podcast where we have casual conversations about professional things. This podcast is powered by the Business Communication Lab at the Sam and Walton College of Business. I'm your new host, Savannah Rubino, and this season we're taking a crash course into empathy and how it has become the ultimate business buzzword. Now, I want to introduce my co-host here, Gracie. Hi. Gracie, would you mind um, telling the audience a little bit about yourself, why you wanted to join this project, and maybe a little bit about what you do at the BCL? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Gracie, like Savannah said. I am a graduate tutor at the Business Communication Lab. I'm an English PhD student, so that's been very interesting to like think of writing um, in a business way versus like an academic way. Yeah. Uh, and I really, to be honest, I just think podcasting is very, very cool. Um, and I hope to incorporate podcasting into my dissertation project. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Can you tell us a little bit? Um, I'm curious to know a little bit more about your dissertation project. Oh, we could get, I could literally talk for like 45 minutes about it. Um, so I am a Victorianist, which means I do 19th century British literature, but I also do neo-Victorian literature. Um, and primarily my focus is in Jack the Ripper fiction oh and a gosh. gender lens on that. It's actually really fun, even though it sounds kind of creepy. No, that actually sounds so interesting. It is. So this is Gracie. This is one of our new co-hosts. And Gracie, I'm so happy that you're here with us on the very first episode of the season. Me too. Um, I wanted to kind of introduce the season because we are talking about empathy, which I think has really become, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was kind of like, here's this new transition into a more empathetic society. Is it going to stay? Is it going to go? And now it's really become something that I think a lot of businesses are seeing as sink or swim. Mm -hmm. We see like the great resignation now. And it's really like if you can't provide an experience to your employees that is under an environment that's understanding, conscious and empathetic, like mm -hmm. we're talking about, mm -hmm. then they will find it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So um Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Myers-Briggs personality test, and I kind of had a little bit of an opening with it, but this test is very interesting to me. I think it's something that we can use to really understand each other, mm -hmm. and I wanted to talk a little bit about it with the theme being empathy in the workplace, because it's actually used by a lot of different companies, and I think we've all, I think it's something everyone has heard of. Um, Gracie, I'm curious to know, what was your initial understanding of the Myers-Briggs test? Well, it was actually interesting because when I was talking to my parents about what the theme was, and I said, oh yeah, we we're talking about personality tests and, and using those in businesses. My stepdad told me that his business does actually use, um, I don't think he uses the Myers-Briggs, but it's some sort of personality test. And they actually 
post outside of each individual's office like what color they are or or what their personality type. Um, so I've heard of him using it. And to be honest, I kind of associated it with something like astrology um, or yes. just like a fun thing. You know, I'm a Scorpio. I'm a, you know, whatever. Oh, that's so Scorpio. I know. I know. <laughs> exactly. Very Scorpio. Very Scorpio. Um, so I guess this is the time where we kind of talk about our little experiment in the BCL. So prior to this recording, we actually had everyone in the lab take a personality test. And I will say I was very surprised because I want to say, what do we have, like 10 or 11 people in the Mm -hmm. office? I want to say about seven or eight of those people were either INFJ or ENFJ, the majority of them being ENFJ. And I I do want to say this podcast comes to you by two INFJs. It does. It does. So um, I'm an INFJ. Grace is an INFJ. And did you think you were going to get this personality type? Oh, so I've, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I've taken this test before and I think I got something a little bit different. Like I think it said I was thinking rather than feeling, but to be honest, I wasn't super surprised because I know that I'm introverted. I know that I, um, I oftentimes focus on feeling rather than thinking. So I wasn't super surprised by the test. Um, but I did think it was interesting because I did, I did have different results last time I took it. I think that's interesting that you say that because researching the Myers-Briggs, like on their website, they, they do kind of talk about it can change Mm -hmm. a little bit. I know, I think my mom was saying before, um, that she's taken it a few times and as she's grown older, it's changed a little bit. And I think that can be expected just with like the different, um, Myers-Briggs does recognize that like things like your experiences Mm -hmm. and how you were raised and that sort of thing can definitely, um, inspire who you are as well and that you're an INFJ I'm an INFJ and it can manifest very differently for two different Mm -hmm. people I do think it's interesting too that like that there is a majority in the BCL just I wonder if that's because we're have similar personalities so we're attracted to like the same kind of job or something but it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that we're all very similar though yeah so that kind of leads me to the next sort of question is before we dive into like the history, the science, the methodology of this test, I, I kind of want to ask in the workplace, and I know we have a little bit of like a more niche workplace, mm-hmm. um, but in in the normal business workplace, do you think that there are certain traits in the Myers-Briggs that are more valued than others? And this is just something we can kind of talk about a little bit before we get into the research yeah I mean so um I also teach at the university and I feel like to be a good teacher you have to be extroverted Mm -hmm. in certain ways um and so I feel like that is valued more and as an introvert like I don't naturally want to be an extrovert but I can perform extroversion whenever I need to whenever I teach kind of thing so yeah I I think that there's there's a greater value often put on someone that is more assertive, which we often associate with extroverts. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think like you said, it like depends on what job you have. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And especially in the, in the business workplace, um, talking about the thinking versus feeling, I definitely feel like corporate America values, mm-hmm. you know, what are the actual facts here? What's the hard evidence? 
and not so much like the feeling and intuitiveness and that's something that maybe is changing a little bit today i don't really know it'll be interesting to kind of like look back on this time and see how attitudes have changed towards decision making in business and whether um they do value feeling a little bit more um because sometimes that gut instinct can be um can tell you just as much mm -hmm. as like the facts which I, which sounds weird but um i think being a leader you definitely um, need to possess a little bit of both of those so i guess this is where we can kind of um segue into the history of the mbti so gracie i'm, I'm just going to go through like a brief history of how this came to be so i talked a little bit about katherine briggs story um katherine briggs myers is her name so Catherine grew up in the late 1800s, and in the early 1900s, she became enamored with the study of children's growth and development, and she really sought to discover, like, the best methods to raise children. Um, she actually would start working with, like, children in the neighborhood. This was something she was really passionate about, and I looked, I looked it up. I, I had mentioned this before. She graduated at age 14 from mm -hmm. college. College, mm -hmm. which is insane. Like, this is a very, um, she's kind of ingen ingenuous mm -hmm. ingenious 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 smart she's very yeah, smart, she's very, <laughs> smart. She's very smart and um this is also a time where women really weren't seen as like an asset in mm -hmm. the workplace or really they didn't have a place in in business at all mm -hmm. um it was kind of expected that you know her her husband was this famous physicist and she was expected to be the homemaker and she had so many passions and all of this knowledge she was like i said an aspiring writer um she would start studying in 1923 carly young's work work um, specifically psychological types. So this kind of birthed the idea of her classifying herself and those around her. And it, this wouldn't really get too far until um, her daughter kind of became interested in this. So growing up, um, Isabel, Catherine's daughter, was she she knew of the language she knew of the theories, but she really wasn't interested in it as much as her mother. But um, as she would become a mother herself, um, she became interested in personality types. And so this kind of started around the 1940s and World War II when society becomes so eager to be to play some role in the war. So this is when Isabel discovers the Hums Wadworth temperament scale, which is a mouthful. But this is a tool that helps place people in the right line of work. And this was super important back then because everyone wanted to be a part of something, something to better society at this point. Um, so this test, I looked it up and it measures your motivation through characteristics. It really doesn't give too much information, which hmm. it was just like it gave you like. I'm not exactly sure how it measures, like what, if it asks questions or what, but I was kind of looking through it and I guess it matches you with like a type, like um, how if you're an ENFJ or INFJ, I believe you have like a certain brain, like the thinker or mm. logician or something like okay. that. So it kind of matches you like that, but um, it will also tell you like what motivates you and that kind of helps place people where I guess... Um, they would be best fitted in the place of work. So with the help and knowledge of her mother, Isabel creates this 172 question assessment, which is so many questions. I didn't know it was that many. Mm, too many for me. Yeah. Um, which is 
the form A, as we know it today, of the Myers-Briggs personality type test. And she would really begin commercializing this prototype. Her first client is none other than the Office of Strategic Services. So the government. And so this the government had a group of wartime psychologists who wanted to match covert operatives to the secret missions best suited to their personalities during World War II. So looking more into this, they were literally using this test to place spies on secret missions. That is really cool. cool. So I didn't know much about this test, but like learning that, I feel like anything government related just kind of like, it has to give it some sort of credibility, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Maybe not in this day and age, but you know. (laughs) know, It did. Yeah. Um, So that, um, shortly after the test will make its way into academia and it will be administered to students at George Washington University. And then it starts being used pretty often with medical school programs to help people get matched up to um, what medical school they would um, be best um, placed at. And then in 1957, Isabel gets a chance to actually publish the indicator, but she would actually sign a new contract in 1975 with a smaller company that better saw her vision, like this first contract. I guess they just didn't really see eye to eye. And the ideas start to spread to wellness centers, in hospitals, among the clergy. So this is like, it's it's just pretty much creeping up everywhere at this point. And it wasn't until the 1980s that corporations became heavily involved with the MBTI. So NPR, according to NPR, this is kind of like when the corporate culture shifts. We start to see this new push to try to help workers figure out how what they love to do and how to be content doing their work as they are at home. And Gracie, you did a little bit of research on what this kind of look, looks like today, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about like how com- companies use this today? Yeah, first can I say that like regardless of what you think of the test, these two women are super cool, yes, right? For yeah. like being women in the uh, in the 20th century um and kind of like doing all of this stuff. So I just think that's awesome. Yeah, so today, one in every five Fortune 1000 companies use it in the hiring process. And from most of my research, people use it in the hiring process, like I said, team building exercises, leadership training, management, and kind of things like that. Consulting firms use it, and JetBlue has also used it before. So it's it's like super prevalent um, in the way that business is, is run today. So still very significant. Yeah, what's interesting, too, is that I was talking to you, and I know you agreed with me on this when we were doing research for this podcast. You can find all the companies that use it. You cannot find literally anything about how they use it, like mm-hmm. specifically how they use it. So is this like some, I don't know if this is some big corporate secret mm-hmm. or what. It's it's just a little bit, I don't know if it's just difficult to find on the internet or if companies don't make this stuff public but we could find out like kind of the general idea of how they use this test but not too much about the specifics or um if they like look back on the test and if they do like training with the test and that sort of thing I, mm-hmm. did you kind of like see that too no i did yeah it was or yes i did see that because it's all seems very vague like leadership training could mean a lot of different things mm-hmm. 
Um, and I mean, it's interesting too that that the actual Meyer Briggs like test the website warns people against using it for stuff like hiring, but people are companies are still using it for things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it seems to be very vague. So I don't know if it's just if it's like I don't know. I yeah, I'm not sure why, but it does seem very vague. Yeah, and now that we know a little bit about how it's been used in the past, how it's been used today. I want to talk a little bit about like the methodology behind the test because I would say science, but there's actually a lot of, there's not a lot of credibility Mm -hmm. um, with the test. So we'll get a little bit more into that. But first I want to talk about what each letter means. So it's a four letter, um, it, it matches you to like four different letters. And the idea is that these questions are kind of like self-electing which is a little bit um it's definitely pretty subjective i don't know if there's any objective part of it at all mm-hmm. so it kind of makes me think you know if someone else were to do the questionnaire for you yeah. it may come up with a completely different but the idea is that you know yourself best do uh, I know. <laughs> um so First we have, this is from 16 personalities. So the first aspect that we have is mind. And this is how we interact with our surroundings. And it's the introversion versus extroversion. And then we have the energy aspect. So this is how we see the world and process information. Um, That is observant, which is the S, versus intuitive, which, which is the N. And then we have nature, which is how we make decisions and cope with emotions. That is thinking versus feeling. And finally, we have tactics. This is how we work, plan, and make decisions, um, which seems a little bit similar to thinking versus feeling, but this mm-hmm. is judging versus perceiving. So let's get into, Gracie, can you tell us a little bit about the pros and the cons of the test? Yeah, so like you were saying, there seems to be a lot of uh controversy or question over the validity the scientific validity of this test Mm -hmm. but i did find several websites that really advocated for it using it in the in the business world um so some pros to using something like this is when you're making a team and you're deciding who to pair up with whom um if you know their personality types or their mybridge personality types then presumably you would know who would work well with who. Mm-hmm. So us as two introverts, like, probably work well together, mm-hmm. right? Um, I would I would say so. I, would, I don't yeah. know what you think. <laughs> I think. I think we're doing okay, right? Yeah. Um, and it also helps with things like communication. So if I know that, you know, you're more of a feeling person, maybe I would, I would communicate things to you a little bit more empathetically, right? Speaking of empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's also stuff like motivation. So specific types are supposed to have kind of specific motivation. So for instance, if someone is more logical than more thinking, then if I ask them to do something, I'd give them the logical reasons for doing it, right? Or if someone's right. if someone's more feeling, I maybe would give you more positive feedback or, or something like that. Uh, it's good for mitigating conflict and, and being more efficient. Again, this is all assuming that like, these tests can actually tell us truly who we are Mm -hmm. and how we interact with the world around us um and stuff like leadership training right and just being a better leader by understanding the way that your employees are the the way that your employees are working or how they respond um one one pro that i found that i 
that I really think is something important to consider is that regardless of the scientific validity of this test, what it does do is give us understandable language that we can use to talk about ourselves and others. So like I would, even before this test, I would have identified as an introvert. Mm -hmm. And if I was introducing myself to someone, I'd be like, I'm an introvert and they would know what introversion is. Right. So it gives us like a language that we already are all at least somewhat aware of to talk about ourselves. Um, So those are the, those are the pros and on to the cons. Um, Before you get to the cons, I do want to say that like, I, I really appreciate that last pro as well, because I think it's kind of like the first, especially in the business world, it gives us a way to describe and understand others in a positive way Mm -hmm. instead of a negative way. So like, for example, if you're going to say, oh, that client was very chatty, you know, you would say the client's very extroverted. Mm -hmm. I'm going to match her with this salesperson Mm -hmm. because they're both, the personalities, they're going to hit it off. So I I do really appreciate that too. Go on Mm -hmm. and go ahead with the cons. This is really interesting. I know. This was like fascinating because I've never done any research about this Mm -hmm. before, but I've heard people, you know, everyone has said like what's your personality type like mm. what's your zodiac sign right um what's your enneagram yeah what's your enneagram all of all of that stuff again it's like that language that we're all aware of and that we all use yeah um so some of the some of the the question questionable aspects of this particularly this test but a lot of personality tests in general are that you'll get inconsistent results so i think i said earlier when i took this test like two years ago um i did get something different and of course, like we can respond to it. Well, I've probably changed since two years ago. Right. Um, but, you know, a valid scientific test would probably come up with the same or similar results every time or something. Right. Um, and then I also found that there's not actually a verified connection between job performance and like how people, what type people are. So it, it just because someone's extroverted doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to perform well at a sales position. Mm-hmm. Um, and then traits traits are lumped together on a continuum that shouldn't be so like thinking and, and feeling the, the way the test has it is it's you're either thinking or you're either feeling and it kind of puts those things on a continuum when those two things aren't actually that separate like mm-hmm. I can think about something and feel very strongly about it but then go back and be able to reflect on it later uh And then also the final thing that I found was that it doesn't actually assess emotional stability versus reactivity. So for example, I am, I am the personality type that has a lot of stress, which you are too, because we're the Mm -hmm. same personality types. Um, And which was not surprising because I, you know, I knew that. Not here either. (laughs) I knew that about myself. Um, But the problem is, is that, okay, maybe I get really, really stressed, but maybe I'm good at taking five minutes to be really, really stressed and then to think about it, to logically rationale, like, this is what I need to do in order to mitigate that stress. Like the test doesn't, doesn't test emotional stability versus how we actually react to the stressors. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so of course someone could be, um, I, I kind of like how you talked about the, that it's kind of like a spectrum mm-hmm. because even reading over the results of, um, when everyone sent me their personality types in the lab, there would be a few where it would say extroverted and they were like 51% extroverted mm-hmm. and 49% introverted. Mm-hmm. So it's really like, it really doesn't take any of those things into account. And I think 
that on the other hand you can say that the test does make you aware of like what your strengths are yes. and then you can figure out okay if i'm extroverted and um, i'm really or i'm really intuitive maybe i can work on um using a little bit more logic when i make decision making so i guess you could kind of spin mm -hmm. that a little bit and i i will acknowledge that like we looked over the myers-briggs website and they did address a mm -hmm. lot of these concerns and they were actually very um mindful of like some of the ethical implications mm -hmm. which is what we're going to move on to now so grace you did a little bit more research on that as well yeah i noticed that i noticed that too because as i was doing the research i was like well this seems a little biased or to one side mm -hmm. um and i wonder how myers-briggs would actually respond to these criticisms and like you said they they already anticipate the criticisms on their website so for instance i got this from the myers-briggs website um, under their ethics policies, they, and this is for people that are administering the test and, and using it that way, um, they say it's unethical and in many cases illegal to require job applicants to take the indicator if the results will be used to screen out applicants. The administrator should not counsel a person to or away from a particular career, personal relationship, or activity based solely upon type information. So the website tells you, um, like you can't you shouldn't use this for hiring purposes mm -hmm. even if a company does the website acknowledges that you shouldn't um they also stress that type does not imply excellence competence or natural ability only what is preferred um so they do acknowledge that okay maybe i am an introvert i'm naturally that way but i can be an extrovert whenever i have to um and then they finally say that uh, the person administering it needs to explain how people can and do act in ways contrary to their preferences because of personal history, education, training, and experience. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, sometimes too, because of pressure. Uh, and so this kind of goes in with the socialization aspect of the ethical implications. Mm -hmm. um, so what the test doesn't acknowledge is that certain people are socialized with certain traits so like as women were socialized to be less assertive mm -hmm. um, and the test doesn't really take that into account uh, and different cultures value assertiveness and introversion differently um, and I know you did some research on that I did because I actually have a book it may sound a little bit nerdy but I have this book called introvert power and I remembered that um, the author had talked a little bit about how here in America, extro extroversion is highly, highly valued. And mm -hmm. we see it everywhere in the workplace. Um, networking is highly valued, especially in corporate culture. And connecting with people, small talk, like everywhere you go, you're kind of... And I, I thought it was interesting that you... We, we mentioned a couple times, Gracie, or you mentioned earlier on in the podcast that you're introverted, but you know how to be an extrovert. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of cool that we have just taught ourselves how to do that even though it's not really um the way that we naturally are and that's i would attribute a little bit of that to or maybe even a lot of that to the culture that we grew up mm -hmm. in so i want to take a little bit to talk about countries like sweden and japan um that have historically valued introversion um instead of extroversion as a leadership quality so um if we look kind of like at the countries um, who are historically um, more extroverted and then those who are more introverted, we can kind of see this through the lens of cultures 
that are more individualistic and then those that are more collective. So I want to take a moment to talk about Sweden. Um, I did a little bit of research about this and it's so crazy to me how different mm -hmm. society works there. And um, here's a few things that I found. So first, small talk is kept to a minimum and it was actually named the worst place in the world for foreigners to make friends because everyone just keeps to themselves so often. And it's it's not to be rude. It may right. be um, portrayed that way if you're a foreigner and you come to visit, but it's just kind of the way that things work here. Like, um, I think I'd like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think so too. And it's even like we have a little bit of that here in the U.S. because we have so many different um, people speak different dialects and just have different... Um, cultural um like customs and that mm -hmm. sort of thing so if someone were to come from the south and go to the nor north north yes. i know a lot of people say new yorkers are so mean mm -hmm. and it's just they're not they're it's not necessarily that they're mean they just don't have that southern hospitality that maybe you're used to here mm -hmm. in arkansas Bless heart. yeah kind of thing yeah so um despite the fact that it was named the worst place in the world for foreigners to make friends the nordic countries are known for their high quality of life and they attract a lot of expats so they have this saying which is lagom lagom and this means not too much, not too little. And this is kind of like how they live. So the idea is that in business, you'll be outgoing, but not enough to the point where it's obnoxious because mm -hmm. they see um, you coming off as a little bit selfish or just a little bit too much if you're being too outgoing. I kind of I kind of um, read this as reading the room, basically, uh -huh. yes. being able to read the room. And that's something that they say there, I guess. I also found that they have the highest proportion of single properties and they have a 15% unemployment rate, which continues to creep up. And many, many people say that this is because building a network, let alone finding a job, is more difficult because the country has this like introverted nature. Mm -hmm. So they actually have apps, kind of like LinkedIn, I guess I would say, but these are more to connect employers with um individual contractors and a lot of people are a part of the startup community community are um individual contractors um a lot of people just kind of have their own place of work there mm -hmm. like it's, it's not really like you're working for a corporation as much and i found that interesting that they have such a big startup community um, because they're very innovative, despite mm -hmm. being, um, I guess, socially a little bit introverted. introverted and a little bit isolated. But yeah, these are kind of what I found. And I, I think it's so interesting that like they're using technology as sort of like a buffer to close the gaps between. So like where they can't um, or I guess they have gaps in their society that the human content the human contact, like the in-person contact can't really fix. They kind of um, bridge the gap with the technology, mm -hmm. which I feel like, I mean, not to, not to take us too off topic, but I feel like that's what we've had to do since COVID mm -hmm. is come up with these different digital ways to create a community. So like having Zoom happy hour or something, which comes with its own negatives because it's, I mean, Zoom exhaustion is an absolute real thing. Yeah. Um. But I do think that that's cool, too. And I do think that, I don't know, that we've had to start doing more of that since 
COVID and probably we're going to have to keep doing that. Yeah. And it's interesting that you kind of talk about the Zoom happy hours and like the digital society that we kind of have going on because we're going to have an episode about the metaverse here later in the semester and virtual empathy. But to kind of wrap things up, we talked a little bit about the history. We talked a little bit about our own personality types and what we can connect with and what we don't really resonate with. And then we talked a little bit about the ethical implications, but I kind of just want to go back to square one and talk about why this is all relevant to us. Talked about the sink or swim idea that like you really have to be on board with empathy and leading with empathy. Um, Otherwise people will find it somewhere else. So I guess after learning all that I have about the Myers-Briggs test, am I going to say that it's like the most knowledgeable tool in the world and the most um, credible tool in the world to use to better understand the people that are around you? No. Mm -hmm. Um, But as someone who is an astrology girl, Mm -hmm. I, I know that going into it. So I guess, Gracie, you can tell me your thoughts, but I really just see this as more of a fun thing like as long as you're using this tool as a way to connect with others and not to separate others Mm -hmm. then and even the myers-briggs um website acknowledged that it really comes down to what you want out of it Mm -hmm. yeah i think i think i agree i i still feel like i'm changing my mind like the more i think about it Mm -hmm. um i do think it's probably unethical to use it in hiring practices Mm -hmm. um and again, Meyer Briggs says that they say that in their in their right. website. But I think it's fun too. Like I think it's it's a fun way to say this is who I am, even if, you know, maybe it's not entirely scientifically accurate, but it's fun to say I'm an INTFJ or whatever. And then that's something you can automatically relate with someone with like, Exactly. You're an ENFJ, me too. Yeah. And it's it's just um like I said, it's a fun thing. Yeah. I know that I'm a Scorpio. I don't know exactly what that means, but it's fun to tell people that I'm a Scorpio. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think like you said, using it as a way to connect and build um, personal relationships, right? And like not using it to separate. I think, yeah, I think I agree with that. Yeah. So that about sums it up for this episode. If you want to reach out to us on our social media, let us know what your personality type is and if you relate to that. But if you like what you heard, please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Walton Biz Talk and also um, at, at Walton BCL. That's all for this week. And next week, we will be back soon with casual conversations about professional things.